Well, good morning. Good morning. There you go. Well, it's a great joy and privilege once again to come here and to serve you all by sharing God's Word. We, uh, Crossroads Church of Dubai extends their greetings to all of you. We regularly pray for you in our corporate, gather, uh, corporate prayers. We pray for your pastor, Pastor Dave. As I mentioned in the first service, I, was, I have so much respect to your pastor. His love and devotion to God, his word in the local church has placed this church in such good health. Uh, you are blessed to have a pastor who is a strong preacher of God's word and a loving, faithful under-shepherd of Jesus Christ. And, and we have somehow seen that, and had, he had influenced many among us who are just starting in the ministry. So we are thankful for his life. Turn your Bibles with me, please, to Psalm chapter 4. Psalm chapter 4 is a very similar to Psalm chapter 3. Um, the reason is because both of them were penned by David. Both were written during times of trouble and affliction. Both talk about how his enemies were hostile towards him. And Psalm chapter 3 is also called as a morning psalm, while Psalm chapter 4 is called an evening psalm. And you see that in Psalm chapter 3, verse 5, and Psalm chapter 4, verse 8. That's why there were several speculations that had been written regarding the context of this passage. Some believe that Psalm 3 and 4 were written on the same occasion when David was fleeing from Absalom, his son. Uh, his son Absalom was pursuing his crown and pursuing his demise. So some say it is in that context. While some were led to believe that it was written at the time of David, David was facing intense persecution against Saul, the first king of Israel. And because of that, of fear, he had fled to the wilderness and hid. Although we do not know specifically the circumstances that is surrounding this psalm, we do know that David wrote it during a time of intense trouble, intense trial, intense affliction. He's going deeper and deeper in despair. We notice by the way he wrote the superscription or the title that is written on top of verse 1 of Psalm 4. The superscription says, To the choir master with string instruments, a psalm of David. The superscription tells us the mood or tone of the passage, that this song should be played with string instruments. He did not give an instruction to play it with tambourines or trumpets that are often used on festive or celebratory occasions. But David knows that the tone of this psalm is a lament, a passionate expression of grief and sorrow, a cry to God. And so the instrumentation should be appropriate to the message. Although this song is an individual lament, it is to be sung by the congregation in a corporate worship. And so Psalm 4 is a story of a man. A man that though he was in the midst of great trouble and despair, he found security, peace, and solace in the Lord. Friends, what about you? Maybe you're here this morning and you are in a similar situation as David. You may not be facing the huge concerns of a king, 
But maybe you are overwhelmed with the circumstances that you are facing right now. Or maybe you are going through some sort of major trial at the moment and you do not know what to do. Maybe some of you are here and you lost your jobs and you're asking yourself, what am I doing in Dubai? Or maybe some of you have felt that you have been betrayed and you're hurting. Or maybe it's a physical ailment that is just there. The doctors don't know what to do and you are discouraged. If that is you, friends, that this psalm is for you. Or maybe you're not currently facing any trouble or, or are not in despair of any kind still. This psalm is good for us to learn before trials. Maybe God has blessed you with a season of peace. Well, praise God for that. But even though you're in that season of peace, it is best to learn this psalm in order for us to be prepared when pain and suffering comes. Friends, it is my goal and prayer that as we study this psalm that we would learn to express quiet, joyous trust in the Lord in the midst of troubling circumstances. Because in the midst of troubles, God's people can find true security, peace, and rest in God alone. In the midst of troubles, God's people can find true security, peace, joy, and and rest in God alone. I have divided this passage into three headings, and, three, and these are three observations from David's life as he wrote Psalm 4. And here are the divisions. Number one, if you're writing your notes, David ran. That's verses 1 to 2. Number two, David reflected. That's verses 3 to 6. And number three, David rested. That's verses 7 to 8. Let's go to number one. David ran. David ran to God. Verse one, answer me when I call. Oh God, my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. At first glance, it seems that David is disrespectfully demanding God to immediately answer his prayer. Look at the imperatives in verse 1. Answer me when I call. Be gracious to me. Hear my prayer. And if you would go to verse 2, twice he repeated the words, How long? How long? But David's bold prayer was expressed not out of disrespect, but out of desperation. With his passionate plea, you can sense the anxiety and distress in his tone. He is experiencing the depth of the trouble he is experiencing. And I think this is just fitting that he would cry out to the Lord in this manner. Why? Well, because, well, first of all, we do not know the whole context of why he's, he's suffering, but we can see a reason in verse 2. And verse 2 says, O man, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? Selah. Now, the word men there that David mentions uh, were, are no ordinary men. These men are men of prominence. Israelites that are probably in authority or in power. They were not your small-time delinquents. These are people who are oppressing him. These men despised David. 
That's why they were condemning him and slandering him and gossiping him, shaming him publicly, destroying his name, and treated him as if he was not their king. That's why in verse 1, David cried, Relief from this distress. That's his prayer. He's praying that God would put this pain to silence. He appeals to the God of his righteousness. He prays that God would vindicate his cause, that God would be the protector of his right. He prays with such confidence, it's because he remembers. He remembers God's faithfulness to him from the past. Again, look at verse 1. You have given me relief when I was in distress. David ran to God. He ran to God in prayer. He ran to God when he was confronted by present circumstances because he knew God faithfully several times from the past troubles was faithful enough to save him. When he was a shepherd boy, God protected him from bears and lions. When he was confronted by Goliath, God saved him by killing Goliath. When he was being pursued by Saul, God saved him. Remember, David is a king of Israel. He could have done something different. He could have commanded his mighty men to destroy all of his enemies. He can do that. Or he could have probably hired killers to just put, to do the job and subtly do the job. But no, he didn't do that. In times of despair and difficulties, he ran to God for deliverance. He ran to God for vindication. He did not put justice in his hands, but he ran to God for peace and solace. Friends, when you are confronted with difficulties and troubles, where does your heart run to? Do you turn to God or do you run away from Him? Here's the truth. When we are in pain, when we are suffering, we are always tempted to run away from God, run away from His will, run to other means of deliverances. Friends, if you are in that difficult circumstance right now and it seems there's no other option, please don't run away from God. Run to Him. Run to Him. In times of trouble, David ran immediately towards God. But this is not the only thing that David did. He also rebuked the men. He rebuked the men who were running away from God. The men that he mentioned in verse 2, who were slandering him, the men who were speaking lies against him. Now, why did I say that, that these men are running away from God, that they're rebelling against God? Well, I'll tell you. Well, since David was God's anointed king, to lead his chosen people, and this is monarchy, to rebel against King David was to rebel against God. And these men are rebelling against God because they were rebelling against David. And so David calls them out. And so what did David do? He rebuked those who were running away from God or going against his will. And you see that in verse 2. Christians... Not only are we to run to God in times of difficulties, but we are also called to run 
after brothers and sisters who are running away from God in the midst of circumstances. At Crossroads, when you become a member of our church, uh, the first thing that we do is we make promises, commitments, promise to God, promise to the local church, and promise to ourselves. We call this covenant. I believe Redeemer Church of Dubai has their own covenant that you read and exercise, praise God. In cro- at Crossroads, we also regularly remind each other to, to about this covenant. And right now, I'd like to read a particular section in that covenant that can be helpful for us as we unpack God's Word. And this section would read this way. We will be devoted to one another in brotherly love. With humility and gentleness, we will patiently bear with each other, forgiving, encouraging, and building one another up, exercising watchfulness over each other and admonishing one another when necessary. Exercising watchfulness over each other and admonishing one another when necessary. Christians, it is true. We are our brothers and sisters' keepers, especially when a brother and sister is in sin. We are to exhibit brotherly love towards our brothers and sisters in Christ, especially the members of this church. Friends, are there brothers and sisters amongst you who are running away from God? Have you run after them? Did you pursue them with love? Or have we forgotten about them? Have we given up on them? Or maybe you did try pursuing them, but they refuse your help. They don't want to be helped by you. Friends, If that is you, and you know a brother or sister is in sin, do you think it's about time for you to tell an elder of this church about the situation? Friends, if you are not running after them, could it be, could it be that you are running with them? In the midst of trouble, David did not run from God. He ran to him. Another observation that we notice about David in the midst of affliction is that he reflected. Number two, David reflected on what God has been doing in his life. Look at verses 3 to 6. That will be our passage for this point. David reflected on three things. First of all, he reflected on his identity in God. Verse 3, but know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. David referred to this as a warning to his enemies that the Lord's favor was on him because he was the anointed king and it would be useless to go against the Lord's anointed. In short, he's saying, don't mess with me, you'll not win. So it's useless. But more than a warning, this is also a reminder to himself who he is in the Lord. In one sense, you would see that he is trying to encourage himself. 
The reason why we can confidently go to God with he can confidently go to God with bold requests. It's because it was God who set him apart. It was God who anointed him. It was God who chose him. It was his tribe that God chose from all the tribes of Israel. It was his family, the, uh, Jesse's family, that God chose. It is him, the youngest person out of the eight bro of his brothers that God has chosen. He was a shepherd of the flock of Jesse. He was chosen by God to be the shepherd of his chosen nation. It was God who chose David. There was probably nothing special about him, although God did mention that he is a man after his own heart, but it's all God's doing. God chose him, gave him special attention, sets his affections toward him, and made him king. In verse 3, David addressed himself as the godly. Uh, godly here does not mean because he took pride in all of the things that he has done right. No, we know that David is capable of gross sins. But this is another term that means faithful one, or refers to those who have genuinely laid hold of God's steadfast love. Friends, in troubled times, David needs to remind himself of his identity in the Lord, that he is not his own, that he is chosen by God, set apart. And this is one way that David encourages himself in hard times. Friends, if David is reminding himself of his identity, then as Christians, we too must all the more remind ourselves of our identity in Christ. Now, when Christ came to this world, he lived a sinless life that we could not and died on the cross that we deserve. Jesus redeemed us from our sins, and whoever believes on him and his finished work on the cross will be a new creation. You are not your own anymore. You were bought by the blood of Christ. We are no longer a child of darkness, but a child of God. We must constantly remind ourselves daily of the gospel. We must constantly remind ourselves who we are in Christ. Because when we are overwhelmed by problems, when we are overwhelmed by circumstances beyond our control, we can easily forget who we are in Christ. We easily forget that we are Christians. And if we forget that we are Christians, we act, talk, and make decisions like non-Christians. Pastor and best-selling author of Christian Living, Paul David Tripp, calls this phenomenon identity amnesia. Identity amnesia. What does he mean by that? It is because of the weight of the problem that we face, we can easily forget that we are a child of God. We can be easily distracted. Friends, where do you place your identity? Is your identity in Christ? Or is it in something else? Christians, our identity should not be placed on the things of this world. 
Our identity should not be on the brand, branded clothes that we wear or the latest tech that we use. It's not in the marriages we enjoy. Our identity is not in our physical appearance or beauty, not in the friends that we hang out with, not in our careers. It is not defined on how much money that we earn, how much money that we saved, how much money we invested, how much money we have sent back home. No, that's not where our identity is. Not on our profession, not on our education, not on the achievements, successes that we have attained, not the skills and abilities that we are good at, not on what other people think about us. Christians, let me remind us that our identity is in the Lord, that our identity is in Christ alone, that we have been bought by the blood of Jesus, and we are no longer identified as people of the world, but people of the Lord. See what great love that the Father lavished upon us, that we should be called children of God. 1 John 3, 1. Friends, we must repeatedly remind ourselves that our identity is in Christ is more important than what others think about us. David was slandered several times. And so he reflected. He reminded himself that I am not that person. I am a child of God. Not only did he reflect it on his identity, he also reflected on his heart posture. He examined his heart. Verse 4, look at verse 4. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own heart on your beds and be silent. Selah. The word anger here in its original language means to shake or tremble. So this could mean one of two things. It could be either shaking in fear or shaking in anger. As David's problems escalate, I believe, David becomes irritated and angry to the point of shaking in anger. Okay? Probably that he was tempted to seek just, to take justice in his own terms. Probably he wants to retaliate. Go against God's will and do his own thing. That's why David counsels us in this psalm to slow down, ponder, and be silent. Friends, sometimes when we're angry, we, we have a tendency to say things that we regret and do things that we regret. It is true that it's not hard for us not to get angry when people betray us, when people lie to our face. When people abandon us, when people fail us, we're angry because we're hurt. And when we are hurt, we always have a tendency to blame others and worse, take revenge. We even express our, maybe some of you are saying, Pastor, but I'm not an angry person. I mean, like, hey, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the gentlest, quietest person ever. Could be, but when we express anger, we can also express anger in our silence. This is what we call the good old-fashioned silent treatment. We see that at home, don't we? We make them feel that we are wrathful by the slamming of the door, the stomping of the feet, 
as you wash the pots, you'll be clinging all the pots and dishes, letting your wrath be made known. But you say nothing. And it's in our actions that we are communicating our anger. And if this escalates, it could be very violent. But the common way we take revenge is through our words. Earlier, Jim read to us Ephesians chapter 4, where Paul in verse 26 directly quotes Psalm 4, verse 4. And he used it to warn the Ephesian church to be careful in expressing their anger, uh, anger in sin. He said in verse 26 of Ephesians 4, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. A follower of Christ should not be consumed by anger, nor should he prolong his anger as it gives opportunity for the devil to attack. You know, words are powerful. It has the power to heal. It has the power to express love. It has the power to encourage or lift someone up. But if not careful, it also has the power to destroy. It has the power to destroy credibility. It has the power to destroy relationships. Friends, are you angry right now? Are you angry because of the situation you're in right now? Are you starting to blame or even plan to take revenge? Listen, if you are angry with your current situation right now and you claim that the Lord is sovereign over all the circumstances that you're facing, then the truth is you are really angry with God. When we don't like the situation, the tendency is to say unhelpful, unfruitful, and ungodly things that can damage a loved one. Matthew 12, 34 says, Out of the abundance of our heart, the mouth speaks. It is not easy to keep calm and quiet when we are going through problems. That's the truth. Because our hearts will continue to ache. Our hearts will continue to complain. And sometimes to the point that we lose sleep. But what's interesting, what David is counseling us is what he mentioned in verse 2. Look at what he said in verse 2. Ponder in your own heart on your, own, on your beds and be silent. You know what he's saying here? He's saying this means that we should reflect on how the Lord has shown himself in your situation to be trustworthy. In short, he's saying, hey, you can rest, you can sleep, because I'm in control. Things may not be, things may be out of control in your life right now, but it has never been out of God's control. He is sovereign over all. Not only did David reflect, reflect on his identity in the Lord, and reflected on his heart posture in times of trials, but also he reflected on the praiseworthiness of the Lord. 
Look at verse 5. Offer right sacrifices. Put your trust in the Lord. David chose to worship. David chose to praise God. David here refuses to give in to his anger that could lead him to take revenge. Instead, that he remain in quiet trust in the Lord and continue to worship him regardless the outcome of his circumstance. When I was pastoring back in the Philippines, one of the things that I love to do in the ministry is visitation. Visitation is the time where we're pastor most of the time on a Saturday morning will visit members of his church. And those are things I love to do. That's the time I get to meet the family, be pop, do life together. And a lot of reasons, there are a lot of reasons why I make visitations. Well, one, I visit members who are probably going through a hard time in their life. I want to encourage them. Or maybe a member is in the hospital or had some surgery. And, and, and most of the common things that I visit members, it's because I rarely see them in church. And that raises a concern because I don't know what's going on in their life and I need to care for them. That's why I visit them. And such is an elderly lady that we will call Nanai Karing. Now, Nanai Karing is a Tagalog word that means Mother Karing. All right? So let's call her Nanai Karing. Nanai Karing stopped attending church for the past months. So I visited her, welcomed me, and I asked her, how are you doing? Why have you not been part of our corporate gathering? And she, with anger, said, well, it's because of the people in the church. They have offended me. They have offended, they said things about me, which is not really confirmed, okay? She said a lot of things, and I don't want to go to church because of these people. Because it is hard to sing songs, Pastor. It is hard to listen to prayers and sermons if you know these people are there. I might end up sinning, and I don't want to be a hypocrite. That's why I'm here. I've been watching some tele-evangelists in the TV anyway. Maybe some of us, maybe some of us in a similar situation can relate to Nanay Karing. Maybe we're saying, I'm going through a lot of hardship right now, Pastor, and it's hard for me to worship God. I'm not really, really in good shape to come to church or to, to talk to members. I'm not ready for members to talk to me. And honestly, I don't want to be a part of it because I'm not really in good shape. I don't want to be a hypocrite. I'm just trying to be true to myself. That's why probably you're not attending the community groups. Probably it's because it's been a while since you attended church. You've not been returning calls or messages because you're angry. Friends, if we choose to worship God only when things are good, then our worship is based on our circumstances. If we choose to worship God in the midst of a trial, this is not hypocrisy. This is maturity. Friends, do you know that worship becomes more honest, more genuine, more true in times of hardships? Why? Because I am choosing to worship God, not because of everything, that everything is fine. I am choosing to worship God, not because I'm, He's going to be answering my prayers and He's going to make me happy. No. I'm choosing to worship God because He is God. Tim Keller, 
defines worship as an act of ascribing ultimate value to something or someone in a way that engages your entire being. Friends, when we worship God in difficulties, we don't focus on ourselves. We focus on Him, His beauty, His majesty, His grandeur. Not on what we can get from Him. We make Him our ultimate value, our highest priority, and not our current situation. Worship magnifies God and it minimizes our concerns. When we worship God, we look away from ourselves because we are focusing on who God is and what He has done. In times of difficulties, David ran to God, reflected. Number three and last, David rested. Rested in God or rested in the Lord, verses 6 to 8. We're not sure if David here is in a cave hiding from Absalom or in the wilderness running from Saul. But what we do know is that there were loyal soldiers with him. Uh, the Bible calls them mighty men of David or mighty warriors of David who are faithful and loyal to him, who joined David in time when he was exiled. And, and, and when they probably noticed that there was no change in the situation of David, they're still in the cave or they're still in the wilderness, probably they started to ask. That's why David said in verse 6, there are many who say, who will show us some good? Well, basically what they are saying is, they were asking, what will happen to us, David? We're still in the situation. When will our situation get better? They are probably losing faith in God and starting to doubt David's leadership. What did David do? David didn't answer their question. No, he didn't. What did David do? Well, we see that in verse 6. He prayed. And what's interesting is, is the petition of that prayer. Look at the petition or the request. Lift up the eyes of your face upon us, O Lord. That's the petition. This, seems, this, is a, this is metaphoric. It means that the Lord would manifest His favor. Lord, manifest Your favor and love to us in this dark situation. That's what He's saying. Now, this prayer is not new in the Old Testament. It was also prayed in Numbers chapter 6, verse 24 to 26. And here we may see more of what the psalmist is, is saying in his prayer. So let me read this to you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. So what is this passage saying? What is, what is this prayer of David? Well, his prayer in the midst of his dark situation was not mainly desiring that the Lord would eliminate the problem, but it's not wrong to pray that. He should pray that, and he did pray for that. No, but he was desiring, he's primarily, de primary, primarily desiring the grace of God. He was desiring the peace of God. He was desiring the comfort of God. He was desiring the, the, the presence of God in the midst of the situation that God himself ordained. 
He's saying, Lord, give me peace and joy in the midst of this because I know you are God and you are in control. The truth is, here's the truth about our lives. When we are in a difficult situation, we only see the problem. That's, that's, the, that's us. When there's a problem, that's the only thing that we see. Okay? So the problem, so our thinking is always focused on the things that we think are the solutions to our problem. Uh, probably where the people would say, you know what, if the Lord would just give me this amount of money, we will be okay. If the Lord would just help me recover from this illness, we will be happy. If the Lord is just somehow help us to, to reconcile relationships, then probably I will serve Him more uh, or recover from poverty or behave children. You add on to the list and we, we have this, this fixed solution in our minds and the, the thing we do is we pursue them. Now don't get me wrong, it's not wrong to pray these things. It's never been wrong. But sometimes, because of our deep desire to solve our problems in a specific way we want, we have a tendency to rely on those solutions. We have a tendency to rely on those methodologies to the point that we will do everything we can to make it happen, even to the point of sinning. Man, if we have money, everything will be all right, and they'll do anything, anything to get money to fix this problem. Friends, in your current situation right now, what if, what if God wants us to go through that situation in order to expose the idols of our hearts? Repent from it. Friends, let us be content with God. David desires God and was contented in Him. That's why he found joy in God in the midst of his situation. God did answer his prayer. God did give him joy. God did give him peace. Although the problem is still there, but there is this supernatural peace, supernatural joy, supernatural uh, security that he felt. Look at verse 7. This is what he's saying. You have put me more joy in my heart. Then they have with their grain and wine abound. Now, this is huge comparison. Because during David's time, people relied on the harvest of crops to eat and drink. When the harvest is good, the whole community is happy. Why? Because there's more food, there's more wine, there's good business. And they'll have good, good times in the community. What David is saying in, this, in verse 7 is that there is more happiness in him that the Lord has provided compared to the abundance of food and wine. So what is he saying? There is joy in me that this world cannot provide in the midst of this situation. This is very reflective, isn't it? Friends, true joy, true joy or happiness cannot be found on the things that you can buy in Dubai. The job that you dreamed of, the house that you have been preparing for such a long time. The car that you always wanted, the cell phone, the laptop, the many likes in FB or the followers in IG, all of these are bound to end. It will be exhausted. It will get old. It will die. The things of this world will never give you lasting happiness. And if you're here today and you say, I'm here to buy, to be happy, 
For a time you might be happy, but it is not true lasting happiness. Friends, listen, do not expect temporal things to meet your eternal longing that only an eternal God can satisfy. In the midst of his trial, David, David is, David's safety is in the Lord. If the Lord is the source of his safety, then anywhere David goes, in prison, in the wilderness... In the hands of his enemy, he is safe. Because David's heart was in such profound joy and peace that he could only, that he could sleep and fall asleep deeply in the middle of disaster. I know some of us, when we're going through situations, it's hard to sleep. It keeps you up in the night. But this supernatural joy and peace that God provides, this is how he describes it in verse 8. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. He says, Lord, you are my security. You're my peace. You're my hope. You give me joy. I can sleep because you are in control. You are in control. You're in control of that cancer situation. You're in control of our financial situation. You're in control about this rebellious child that I have. I've done everything. I tried doing everything. But Lord, this is in your hands. You are in control. In the midst of troubles, David found true security, peace, and joy, and rest in his God alone. As Christians, we should have true joy and happiness and peace. But Pastor Alvin, I have a problem. My problem is, I can never relate to David. I'm not David. Sure, I can relate to the problems. I got tons of those. Sure, I can relate to the pain and suffering. Who doesn't? But the thing that you're saying, the supernatural joy, supernatural, there's nothing in common between me and David. This is impossible. He has a strong faith. I have a weak faith. Friends, listen. Friends, we are very much like David. Like us, David is capable of committing gross sins. Adultery, murder, lying, rebellious against God. Psalm 4 is not a story of a sinless man or woman. It is a story about God's grace and what He can do to the hearts of those who call and run to him. Although David is the anointed king set apart by God, he is only but a mere shadow of the greater king. This greater king was also anointed and set apart by God for his purposes. He too was slandered, mocked, betrayed, hunted down, and was judged unjustly by the religious authorities. His people whom he has purchased, whom he has chosen, rejected him as king. Yes, friends, you know, this is, the greater king is Jesus. Jesus is the truly godly one. Jesus did not just face death. He died on the cross for our sins. He was buried, and on the third day has risen from the dead. 
In this we have hope. This Jesus has risen from the dead, that's sitting right now at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us and for those who are suffering in faith. Here's the hope that we have. One day he will come. He will come to end all rheumatisms. He will come and end all sin. He will end everything that is unjust. You will never hurt anyone because of your sin anymore. You will never hurt anyone when he comes. This is the hope that we have. This greater king is the ultimate king. And whoever repents from their sins, from running away from him, but running to him in repentance, trusting Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross, he becomes the chosen one. He now becomes the godly one. Not because of the godly things that we've done, but because of the godliness, godless, the righteousness of the Son that was imputed to us. Friends, if this is true to us, then we no longer live for our selfish ways. We now live for the joy and the glory of our King. And as we face trials and troubles, we can now face trials with true joy, true peace, and true confidence. It is because God will cause us to persevere. The very grace that saved you is the same grace who will persevere you. Look at Psalm chapter 4 again. What did David say? Lord, it is you who set us apart for yourself. It is you who had put more joy in us. It is you who made us dwell in safety. Never us. It is God who will cause you to persevere. Friends, I encourage you, suffer in faith. Don't run away from God. Run to Him. That is why, friends, in the midst of troubles, we can find true security peace, joy, and rest in God alone. Let us pray. Father, thank you for Jesus Christ who has secured our eternity. We have been redeemed, washed, reconciled, regenerated because of your Son. We now have true hope that we would be with you in our presence, that we will be in your presence for eternity. We believe that same grace, Lord, that saved us is the same grace that will sustain and persevere us. Our prayer, Father, is that you would provide us sufficient grace, sufficient grace right now as we go through trials and afflictions in our lives. Help us, Father, to suffer in faith. Help us, to seek the greater joy that is found only in Christ alone. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.